Well, welcome to our inspiration gathering. Y'all, give it up if you're inside here. Let me hear you. Woohoo! All right. Well, I am excited as we continue uh, to go through Genesis. I'm especially excited to see faces here and to be able to teach you. So I do want to encourage y'all, go ahead and get your Bibles. If your Bibles are uh, on your phone, that's fine. But I want to encourage you while we're doing this to be highlighting and be uh, interacting with the text. Uh, and that's why I like that's why I like good old paper Bibles like Jessica over here. Jessica's doing it right. Uh, my wife does it right too. She's got her notepad out right now. That's the way to go. And so we're going to be on page three or Genesis chapter three today as we continue. And I just want to remind us as we go through these stories in Genesis is that it's, it's very easy to look at Genesis and begin asking all these questions. Most of us miss the great parts of Genesis because what we do is we ask all these questions that the text isn't trying to, to tell us. And so what happens is we end up asking questions about God and, and, and we get this idea that God is too simple for our questions or for, for the things that we're seeking. So we ask him all these scientific questions. We ask him how can a snake talk might be something that we ask today. But what we're going to find is that God has given us these simple stories. And these are divinely inspired. These are straight from what, the, from what God wanted us to have. But I want to be clear, it's not intended to answer every question you bring to the text. God is teaching us a specific way to see the world, to observe the world. And so uh, you can think of it uh, the same way that you would think about a, a parent and child. The, the stories are not simple because God is simple. The stories are simple because we are simple. And this is the only way, you think about the beauty of these simple stories, that if you are in the mountains of Peru and can barely read and you hear this story, you know, okay, God is teaching me this. If you are a child, I've got my seven-year-old in here, about to be seven-year-old on Tuesday, uh, and, and she can understand these stories. And so we also have complexity. We have people that have studied and studied these stories for years, and they still are able to get stuff out of these stories. So I just want to make the point that these stories are simple, not for, not for God's sake, for our sake. So let's jump into the text today because there is a lot to get to. We would normally call, this is the second story we've been going through. The first story was creation. This is the story of the garden. Now, most of us, how many think we know the story of the garden? Okay, I know what's going on here. Okay, let me ask you a question. The, uh, the interaction between Eve and the snake, how many times does the snake speak? Do y'all know this? The snake says, Two sentences to Eve. The fall of man, what we, what we look at is the, the crux of, of all creation. And the snake is going to say two sentences to Eve. And it's going to wreak havoc. And I want to, to play today, not just on this idea of the fall. Really what I want to show you is the redemption of God in Genesis chapter 3. So let's begin. It's going to be uh, in, in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than all the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. A couple of things about this text you need to know. First of all, why a serpent? We're going to get into this, but the serpent plays a role here because for the, the Hebrew people, every single place around them had a god that was a goddess, actually, that was a life-giving goddess that was represented by a snake. And one of the things we've, we've shown in Genesis is that God is dethroning gods. Anytime somebody says, this is, this is a God you should worship, God is going to, or, or Genesis is going to take that God and is going to uh, mitigate it to just a, 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 a bit part. So the serpent is, being, is basically being attacked. The serpent is not God. In fact, what's interesting about this is it, it combines the serpent with the other beast. He was, it it kind of lumps him in with the beast of the field. 
Who created the beast of the field? Come on. All right. What day did he create? Do y'all remember this? The sixth day, God created the beast of the fields. Who did God give dominion over the beast of the field? So men in this story should start off with the serpent has no authority in this story. The serpent is not the one in control of this story. The serpent is a created being whom God has given to man to speak over, to have dominion over. But he was subtle and he was sneaky. So it says, um, so it says he said to the woman, don't ask how he speaks. This is a story that is it's in its simplicity is going to explain to us a lot of things about the world. He said, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, right now, bells should go off because there's a couple of things happening here that you need to know. The first thing is, is in verse one, it said, the Lord God hath made. But when the serpent speaks, he doesn't say the Lord God. The serpent just says God. He says Elohim. Now, the narrator is saying Yahweh Elohim, which is the name of God. If somebody walked in here and said, hey, uh, is pastor in here? You would say, y'all would probably point to me and say, yeah, the pastor's right here. But if somebody walked in and said, Pastor Joel, where is Pastor Joel? You would know. They know me. They know my name. So the serpent quits using the name, the, the, the name of God, and just uses this term Elohim, just this God that's out in space, this God that created and, and is God, but he takes off the name, and that's a subtle thing. And then also I want you to notice that what he says is the most absurd lie, twisting of what God actually did. He says, did, the, did, the, did God actually say, do not eat of any tree in the garden? Well, what did God say? God said, you shall surely eat of every tree in the garden, except for the one. He said, he made it a point. I've made the best trees, the most beautiful trees. The tree, of, the tree that they couldn't eat of is not the most beautiful tree. God said, you shall surely every day enjoy everything about this. And then he said, but the, the serpent takes it and he makes God look absurd. Did God really say you can't eat of any tree? The serpent knows it. But he's, he's drawing out of Eve. And this is just the first question. And I, but I want you to think about every time you get a, 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 any doubt in the word of God, somebody will always be taking what God said and twisting it to make God look absurd. And it's planting seeds of doubt of, you know what, can we really trust God? Is God really, did he really? And so she's going to correct him. But I want you to see how we're going to notice some, some flaws in her thinking. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, and she says Elohim. She doesn't say Yahweh Elohim. She's, she's taken her cue from the, from the serpent. She's, she's not naming God, the God I know, the God that walks every day with me. She's saying, yeah, God, God did say we could eat, but we may not eat. He said, but you shall not eat from the, the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, I just want to point out a couple of things here. Not only has she minimized her relationship with God by not naming him, but also something that she has done is, is she has minimized the, the, the blessing of God. Yeah, we can't eat from, from any tree. That's not what God said. God said, you shall surely enjoy, you shall love these blessings, these fruit. And then she adds to God's word. You don't even touch this tree. Well, God never said, don't touch the tree. Understand we are seeing in this interaction that she truly doesn't know what God said. She does not know it, what he said. Therefore, she does not know why he said it. You shall not even touch it 
or you'll die. Now, God did not say, or you'll die. God said, or you will surely die. So she minimized the penalty of sin. She, she minimized the blessings of God. And then she changed the word of God. Now, the serpent picks up on this. But you, uh, the serpent said to the woman, but you will not surely die. And he quotes God, surely die. And he makes the point that sin isn't going to surely die, but it shows us that not only does he know the word of God, he knows that she does not know the word of God well enough to stand on it as a foundation. And so you shall not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, you are, your eyes will be opened and you will be, what does the word say? Y'all look in your Bible. What does it say? You will be like God knowing good from evil. Now, I want to point out something that we should all have noticed, but we don't usually pick up on this. Now, she wants to be like God. She wants to live forever. She wants to, to be able to choose right and, and, and wrong or, or to know and be the one that decides right from wrong. But this promise, you shall be like God, here's the, the problem with this thinking. God created her and the man in what? In the image of God. She was already like God. She had a, a tree called the tree of life in this garden. She could eat and have everlasting life. She was made in the image of God. She had everlasting life and a relationship. She already was like God. And everything that God had made, God said is good. And the one thing he saw last week that wasn't good, a man was alone, he made it good by giving a woman. So everything she has is already good. So she, she is already like God. She is already made in his image. She is already have a, eternal life. And then she already has all the goodness that God has given. So when she's making this choice, she thinks she's going to get even more. But on, the only thing she's introducing is evil. The only thing she's doing is introducing the one thing that will take her away from the goodness of God and eternal life and the relationship with God. She's only destroying, even though she thinks but I want you to, to understand what's going on here. The serpent has, has made this kind of, uh, this idea that, that God is withholding. She now doubts the motive of God. God has made everything good and not withheld anything. He says, you shall surely eat of everything. But what does, what does she say? She says, you know what? I want to, I want more. I want to be like God. Now, as we continue in this story, I want you to see what happens next? She is going to look and she is going to, to make a decision. The fall before the fall is what I would say this is. In verse 5, it says, So the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She saw the tree was good for food. It was a delight to her eyes and it was going to make her wise. Now I want to read for you what Jesus' best friend John wrote in a letter. He said in 1 John chapter 2, he said this, Do not love the world or the, the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see, everything in this life, every sin we have comes from this idea that we can dethrone God and put ourselves there. And that's exactly what the woman does in this instance. Look what she does. She looked and she saw that the tree was good for food. And let me ask y'all a question here in inspiration. Was the tree good for food? 
Yes and no. It was good for food in that it tasted good. It probably looked juicy. We don't know if it was an apple. It doesn't say an apple, but we always, you know, you say an apple. It could have been anything. In fact, I would say they intentionally don't tell you this so that this story can apply anywhere. Now, it is good for food in that you can eat it and, and not be hungry anymore. You can be satisfied. Is it good for food, though? Because God said it is not good for food. God did not say it was not tasty. He did not say, if you take of this delicious fruit, it will satisfy you for a matter of minutes or maybe even hours. You will t- it will taste good. It will make your life happy for a few moments. God did not say that those things wouldn't happen. What God said is, it is not good for food. And so when the woman looks and says, oh, it's good for food, she is taking the word, the authority of God as, a moral, as the moral judge God decides right and wrong. And before she even eats the apple, she's making the decision. You know what? I'm going to decide what's good for food. For me, I'm going to decide my own morality. I'm going to decide what's good for Joel. I'm going to decide what's good for Eve. That's what she's saying. And then she looks and she begins to to extrapolate from that. Well, it's good for food. Well, it also looks good. It's going to make me happy and it's going to make me wise. Now I'm going to be able to know, uh, I'm going to be able to decide what's right and wrong. I'll be the, the arbiter of wisdom. I'll decide if this is wise for me or not. Understand that every sin we commit is us dethroning God and putting ourselves in a place deciding I will decide what is right and wrong. And we do this all the time. And it looks just like Eve. We minimize the blessing. We, instead of saying, maybe God was doing this, maybe God gave us this rule to protect us, we say God did this because he's holding, withholding from us. God doesn't want the best for us. He's got a better life that he's protecting for himself. That's what Eve said. So you can see that just in those two interactions, The serpent is able to just plant these seeds to which Eve, before she even eats the apple, decides, you know what, I I am eating of this apple, right and wrong. I'm the one that decides right and wrong. Now, before we go on, I want you to think of all the ways that you see in this world, whether you or someone else, usually it's the sins we struggle with, that we, we justify of why it's okay. We minimize why God might have done this, and we minimize the, the consequences of our sin. And we say, you know what, I'm, the, I'm, I'm really wise. I'm more wise than God. I'm the one that can decide whether this is right or wrong for me. As we go through the story, you begin to see it's a little underwhelming. Here's what, what many people consider one of the best verses in the Bible. It's, it's written in Hebrew wonderfully. In ours, it translates like this. She took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her and ate. But this is how the Bible says it. It says she took, she ate, and she gave. That's what it says. She took I want you to remember, say that with me. She took, let's say that again, louder. She took, she ate, and she gave, okay? All of, of, of God's blessings were undone because she took, she ate, and she gave. She took, she ate, and she gave. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Now, I want you to, to see, guys, we don't have a very good showing here because it, he was with her the whole time. He heard the whole conversation and he sat by. He heard, God say, or he heard the serpent say what God did not say. He said, said nothing. He, he, he heard her minimize the blessing of God. He didn't just say we could eat. He could have interjected at any time and said, hey, no, no, no. He gave us all of this. But instead, Adam sits right by and he lets his wife. It's not her fault any more than it's it. He, he was there the whole time and he just eats and he goes along with it. Now, immediately, what I want you to see here is how underwhelming the results of this are. Now, they didn't immediately die. They thought they were going to die immediately. You will surely die. 
But I do want you to see that there was consequences. And it was underwhelming. They, it says, then their eyes were open and they knew they were naked. Now, naked to us means naked, no clothes. But in this story, understand it represents being ashamed before God. That's what it, it ultimately resembles. Now, they were physically naked here, but, but their nakedness is, a, is being ashamed before each other and before God. And this is introduced to them. And so it says, they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loincloths. They tried to cover their nakedness. They tried to cover what they had, the consequences of what they had done. They tried to make up for the sin against God. Now it says that God was walking in the cool of the, of the day, which means God, it kind of gives us this idea that God is always walking around in this garden. God knows them. He's walking with them all the time. And the man and the wife hid, their pre- hid themselves from the presence of the Lord um, among the trees of the garden. The very thing God gave them to bless is where now they go to hide. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Do you think he knew where he was? I think he knew where he was. He's God. And he said, I heard the sound. Of, this is what the man says. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. Naked and afraid. Yeah, let's go ahead and make the joke. And I hid myself. Now understand when he says this though, I'm naked and afraid, understand that that is cue, that, that, that is confession to God. God knows. He doesn't realize, he just confessed to God. The only way that happens is if they ate from the tree. But he's naked uh, before God now and so he hid himself. Who told you you were naked? God is going to play along. And I want you to, to see in God's interaction here, because God interacts in this story way more than Satan does, way more than the serpent does. Now, I want you to see the mercy of God all over this. God has promised them they would surely die. He could surely kill them. But what does he do? He comes and he talks with them. And he's leading them gently. He's leading them so gently compared to what they deserve. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded? And the man has a great reply. The woman. That's his reply. The woman. The woman, he deflects first and he points at his wife. And then he says, that's probably not going to work. So he says, the woman who you gave, you did, you gave. And understand he's deflected. There's only two people that could have not been besides him. And he deflects to both of them. Ultimately, though, he confesses and he says, you know what? I ate. And then it says to the woman and the woman says, well, there's only one person left to blame the serpent. She blames the serpent. But then she ultimately says, and I ate, and I want you to see, after they confess that they ate, that's when God begins to, to, be, to, to pronounce curses. But he only curses one being. He curses the serpent. He does not curse the man and the woman. It says, he says to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts. Now he's cursing the goddess of all the places around. He's saying they are cursed, that this goddess is not a god. This goddess is cursed. And so in their minds, he's, he's dethroning these gods. On your belly you shall go, from the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring and your offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What he's saying is there is a curse that's going to go on generationally. There's going to be a battle between good and evil, between, uh, between the adversary and, and, and mankind for, for quite a while. But eventually he's pronouncing a victor here. You're gonna, the snake is going to bite. You're going to have spiritual demon. You're going to have spiritual uh, losses and it's going to bite your heel. But eventually a man is going to come who is going to crush 
the, the head of the snake. The snake is going to be defeated in this prophecy. Don't have any timetable. It's, very, uh, it, it's kind of just out there. But someday there's going to be this curse is going to be broken by a man. That's important. To the woman, he does not curse, but he says things are going to be different now that you've done this. And there are going to be some consequences to your sin, but it is not a curse. And I want, that's, that, that needs to be understood. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Um, in your um, pain, in pain shall you bring forth your children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, what I want you to see here is that he's saying life is going to be harder for you because I want you to long for more. All of these are not a curse and that you can't escape them. You're going to be able to, to have great marriages. You're going to be able to live um, in this redeemed life, but it's not going to be as easy as it was going to be. You don't just get to sit in the garden. You don't just get to, to have. And so you see, you know, woman, the woman was made as a helpmate. She was made to, to help and, and just be an equal. But now God says the way it's going to, going to play out is you're going to not just be a helper. Sometimes you're going to be a nemesis. In fact, at, at, at a woman's worst, she is a nemesis to a man. Have you all ever experienced this? At, at a woman's worst, don't shake your head, Matt. We don't want to know. I'm just kidding. At, at, at the worst, women are not trying to help out the, the men they're around. They're trying to, to subvert them. But men, at our worst, we are uh, dictators. We, are, we, we use our, our size or our strength uh, to intimidate we are to dominate. Understand at our worst, we also, even though she may desire women, have you ever know a woman that goes after a bad guy and you just are like, why are you going after that guy? It's because part of the curse is even though there's st we're still going to long for one another, now all of a sudden we're going to have this natural inclination to subvert or to dominate or be an authoritarian. Now it's not a curse. It doesn't have to be that way. Some of us in Christ, we can find love and we can, we can overcome this curse. But understand that life has got this, this oracle, but it, life gets harder. To the man, to Adam, he says, But because you have listened to your wife, the voice of your wife, and you have eaten out of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground. And you get this idea that God wanted to curse the man because he was so mad. But cursed is the ground because of you. He didn't curse the man either. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And you shall eat of the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. And you shall eat bread, or if you're paleo, you'll eat almond bread or whatever it is. Till you return to the ground. For out of dust you were taken, for you are dust. And to the dust you shall return. So now man is made out of dust. He's going to work the dirt. And he's going to go back into the dirt. You understand that this is death being pronounced on the man. The ultimate consequence is death is given to us. And as it goes forward, we see this death, though, is actually another protection that God is making to life. You may not see it this way at first. So life becomes, you know, begins this new, new life where there's now been sin introduced, there's death introduced, and they begin to kind of get things going. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living things. That's kind of a nice gesture considering she had just caused the fall of all. No, I'm just kidding. Now, the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed him. We're going to come back to that. That's probably the most important verse in the entire story. And then the Lord God said, behold, man has become like one of us. Once again, we see that God has this plurality to him that is foreshadowing what is going to happen, that he's foreshadowing uh, that, that God is, has a fellowship within him of the Holy Spirit in Jesus as well. 
It says, therefore, the, um, he, he, he now is going to become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And what God is saying is now he's going to spend his days deciding what is right and wrong. And even though that, that it's really not doing that, it's going to cause destruction when men, every single person now is going to go around deciding what is right and what is wrong. Now, lest he should reach out his hand and reach and eat of the tree of life and live forever. So God is basically saying now that all this destruction is in here, death is actually going to be a, a, a way to end some of this pain. There are going to be evil people that are going to, to come and they're going to actually die. And that's going to be a good thing because we don't want them living forever. But it also points out that before this, they were eating of the tree of life all the time. The tree of life was never, um, they were never disallowed to eat from it. It was only the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, it says he drove the man out, out of the east, um, and he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword um, that, turned every, that turned every way to guard the tree of life. So in the east of Eden, even further to the east, he was kicked out. That's the entrance. And he put a, a cherubim there, an angel. This was not a nice angel with a really bubbly butt and little wings. This was one that could kill you in a, a, a second. And, uh, and, and man can't go and touch the tree of life anymore. He does not. Basically, this, this is a, uh, a declaration. You will not have eternal life anymore because your fellowship with God was broken because you made the choice to decide right and wrong for yourself and not trust the goodness of God. Now, here's what I want us to learn from this. There's so many things. The first things I want us to see is just the worldview of how a Christian should, should view the world. There's several things we need to know. The first thing is We've got to know the, the word of God. If you're a Christ follower, you have to know the word of God because that's what leads us to all pride and all sin starts when we begin to twist or add to or, or say, did God really say? That's where the problems begin. And we have to trust in the goodness of God. We have to, to never undermine the fact if anyone ever says, well, how could a, a loving God do this? We can never let our minds go, yeah, let's start there. Let's start with the evil that God made. No, 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 we must always start with the goodness of God. Of God. So in our worldview, God, as a Christ follower, God is the moral authority. If God says it is good, it is good. If God says don't do this, then don't do it. And a lot of us will twist this and say, well, there's a lot of gray area and stuff. There's really not as much gray as we make. We make some things gray. We try to smudge it because we like tasting the fruit. It looks good. It looks like it would be fun for a while, which it may be. But God still, in most cases, black and white, it's a lot more clear. And you have to jump through hurdles. You have to convince yourself. At the very least, you could get guidance when you come up on a gray and ask someone. Ask a godly person, what do you think? What does the Bible say? But most of the time, the Bible is very clear. God is our moral authority if we are a Christ follower. And you need to understand that starts at the beginning of the book. There are distinctions made in this, in, in this book. And this is something in our worldview as Christians, the way we see the, the world, there is God and man. Man is not God. Even made in the image of God does not mean God. There are differences between men and women. And this isn't a scientific claim. This is a spiritual claim that we are different. We were made um, to complement each other. We were made to serve with one another, not to dominate or rule over. But that's the effects of how things are. But we are still distinct. And there's beauty in that. And we minimize God's beauty in creation when we blur the lines of the distinction. And there are many other distinctions. Um, there, there's man and beast. We are not just an animal. God makes it clear in these stories that even though he created us on the same day and we're like animals, we breathe like them, we eat like them, we are not. We have been given a, a, a specific crown. We have been given this image of God. We are different. We have been given dominion. Either we rule it or it will destroy us. 
There's some other distinctions we've got to make sure that there is a, a good and evil in this world. It is, there is good and evil in this world. There is holy and profane in this world. Some things God has said to do just to be like God. That's holy. And so we've got to understand these things. But what I really want to show you is what this teaches us about sin. Sin is just brought to light so, so clear in this story. And some of us miss this because we think it's just a simple story. But it's so clear the way that God illustrates sin in this. Sin begins with the arbitration of right and wrong, deciding who's going to decide what's right and wrong. And as soon as we make the decision, I'm going to decide. You know what, for me, I'm okay. This is okay for me. And you'll let that little sin stay in your life. And you'll kind of minimize, well, I know that it's not good. And you'll minimize the consequences. And you'll minimize the blessing. I know being pure in my marriage would be a great thing. But you know what, or whatever it is, we minimize the blessings of God. And we minimize the consequences of sin. Sin also, we, we, we tend to add and detract from God's word. We tend, that's where, when we're, we're involved in a sin or we want something to be different, that's where we, we begin to, to add or detract. And it's the same whether you add or detract from God's word. But you also, you see that confession is the first step towards God when we sin. The first step we should make is not to justify ourselves, not to say the woman, not to say the serpent, but we say, I ate I ate. I, I sinned against you, God. And understand, as soon as we make this confession, God begins to redeem. And sometimes we miss this, but God begins to redeem. We must learn to trust God and run to him, not to hide from him in our sin. Even if you have been struggling with a sin for the last year and this pandemic has made it worse if you've been struggling with whether it's an anger, whether it's um, just an apathy, whether it's pornography, whatever the sin that, that has become exacerbated in this season, your solution is always to confess and to run to God. And now, when we run to God, look what begins to happen. It says that there is this sting of death is what the way the Bible says it. The Bible has been put on this earth. And it's not exactly a curse. It's also a protection. But it is the undoing of what God intended. But understand, in this, there is a provision God has made. So right now, as I um, close this out, I'm going to invite uh, Joey up here. And Joey, if you'll bring the elements here. I want you to go back, though, to this one verse in verse 21. And I want you to begin to see this story in a different light. Now, it says less, uh, um, in verse 21, it says, the Lord God made Adam um, and his wife garments of skin. And I want you to just take this, this image of, of God doing this. The man and the woman are settled into their life. They're kind of ashamed, but, and they've got these little loincloths on that are not covering much that they try. Can you imagine guys trying to sew? And now imagine them trying to sew leaves, okay? It didn't go well. Probably didn't cover that much. They're sitting there in their shame, and they know they've had the, the life is harder now. All of these things, and it's just... They, they feel as if they've, they've let God down, but yet God does something amazing. And, and just picture God saying, hey, Adam, Eve, y'all come here. And then he calls the lambs, and I, or maybe it was a deer, I don't know what he called, but he calls an animal, an acute animal, and Adam's probably in my mind, he's thinking, God, I'm not in the, mute, I'm not in the mood for the cute, cuddly you know, animals or whatever. And God takes this lamb or whatever it is, and he takes out a knife, and Adam and Eve perk up. And God takes this knife and he cuts the throat of this animal. And blood begins to pour out. 
And God takes the, the, the knife and he begins to cut and he cuts the skin off of this animal. And as this dead animal is there, he peels and they're watching in this blood and they're watching God do something they've never experienced before and it is horrifying to them. But in their minds, they can't miss. On this very day, earlier in the day, the serpent lied to me and said, you will not surely die. And I didn't even know what death was at that point. But all of a sudden, God has shown them what death is. And he did it by taking a lamb. And Adam could not have missed this point. That was supposed to be me. That was supposed to be me. And as he's watching in horror, God begins to clean the skin. And he covers and all for the first time since this happened, Adam feels as if he's, he's warm again, as if he's not ashamed because he's got an actual coat that, that is staying on him and is fitting right. And it shows us in this that no matter how much we try to cover our sin, only God can cover your sin. And not only can only God cover your sin, but we also see that a death must be paid. And so God fulfills this. And, and what we call in, in seminary is we call it substitutionary atonement. God took an animal and substituted it for the man because he loved the man. He wanted the man to live with him forever. And so God removed the stigma by paying that debt with the life of an innocent animal. But then God also covers the sin and the shame and everything that man had done that day. God resets it and said, we're starting anew. I'm going to cover your shame. And even when, when you do wrong again, I'm going to cover it as long as you come to me. Now, this is my favorite part of the story, because if you remember, only a man is going to crush the serpent, but only God can cover your sin. And that's where we get to Jesus in the story, because Jesus is the only, only atonement that we can have because he's fully God. But he's also the only one that can stop this curse of death because he is fully man. And so when Jesus gets before his disciples, the, the, the nights before he's actually going to give his life as this sacrifice, he's going to substitute himself on behalf of his disciples. What does he do? Right now, I want to go ahead and invite y'all to remove the first element and just, just the very top if you're here. If you're at home, you can use anything, anything that you can eat. But I want to remind us the words that Eve spoke that started the curse. It says that Eve took the fruit and she ate of the fruit. And when she did this, she brought this curse of death and then she gave it to the man. And the curse of death spread to all of us. So when Jesus is undoing the curse, what does he do? He has this meal that represents a victory of God from the Exodus, but he also he takes a piece of bread. He takes it. It says he takes the bread. And he breaks this bread. And he gives it to them. And this is what he said. This is my body that is broken for you. This is a, a lamb that is, is slain for you is what he's saying. And then he invites everyone to take and to eat. He's inviting them to reverse the curse. So right now I invite you to take and eat. The next thing I want you to see is that Jesus takes a cup and he says, this cup 
is the new covenant of my blood. And, and this is what reminds us of Adam and his horror seeing this blood that even as horrific as it was, as tragic as it was, that, that blood was God reversing the curse. That blood was God saying, you know what? I will cover your sin with these garments that are gonna cost the life of an innocent animal. This is Jesus when he takes the cup and he gives it to us. It's inviting us of this new covenant that's going to undo the curse. And he looks at his disciples and he says, take and drink. So right now, let us take and drink. Understand, when we take and eat the Lord's Supper, what we're doing is proclaiming that Jesus undid what we did he has covered our shame through forgiving and covering our sins on the cross. He has substituted himself on our behalf to pay the penalty of sin. But this curse of death was ultimately undone, not just by the atonement, but by the resurrection. When Jesus walks out of the grave, showing us that not only did he pay for your sins, not only did he cover your nakedness and your shame, but that he reversed this curse that anyone who trust in him shall live, shall have abundant life forevermore. We take and eat the Lord's Supper because it is a reversal of the curse and it is a promise of not only new life, but everlasting life. My hope is when we read Genesis 3, you see a story that is simple yet deep. Jesus Christ redeemed us and it started in the garden. The way back to the garden is not by going backwards, it's by going forward. It is through the resurrection of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, as we continue to worship you, I pray for anyone right now who may be feeling shame, maybe feeling as if they are far from you because they've been hiding among the trees. Lord, I pray for all of us who have been living a life deciding what is right and wrong. And we, we know what your word says, but we've twisted it enough in our minds so that we can justify it. We've, we've pointed the blame enough at other people that we can justify it. But instead, Lord, let us today see your goodness. See all that you did through Christ. Let us run to you, Lord. Let us want to eat and, and drink every single day of your blood and your body, which has reversed the curse. Let us run to your atonement. Lord, we thank you for being a God that redeems us. Lord, let us never read Genesis 3 and call it the fall of man again. Let us look at this and say, this is the redemption of man at every single turn. Lord, we thank you for your simple stories. We thank you for the stories of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.